You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. This week, guest speaker Colton Kisner walks us through Psalm 2 and its New Testament fulfillment in Acts 4. Again, I just want to welcome everybody yet again um, to Mountain City Church. Um, today, we're going to be hearing from Colton, who has been serving as an intern and also serving up at Pleasant View uh, Baptist Church in Oakland. I'm so grateful for the elders and, and the staff for the last um, two weeks. Uh, took a little bit of vacation and had some time to uh, work on some other things other than the, the daily grind of, weekly grind of, of producing a um, sermon, and it's been great. I feel refreshed. Um, that just means that I'll probably preach an hour and a half next week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so... Uh, so Colton, again, has, has been uh, serving up at, at Pleasant View. Um, the only negative thing on his resume is he's good friends with Daniel Sisler. Now, I'm just kidding. You guys, you know, um, we love Daniel. And um, we could be praying for Daniel and them. They're um, trying to work through COVID again, I do believe. So be praying for them. Um, so many people within our faith family, um, you haven't seen them for a while. They've had COVID. The deals are struggling with some different health issues. So please um, continue to pray for everyone's um, health, and I'm so grateful that everybody, it seems, within our faith family has done so well at loving their neighbor and saying, man, I don't feel good, um, and so I'm not going to be there because I don't know what I have, and I want to make sure I don't want to pass it on to someone else. Um, Thursday night at Crew, we all decided that we're going to take up a collection and buy Eric a bubble and put him in the bubble. And uh, poor guy, every time he turns around, he gets sick. So, uh, so let me pray for Colton as, as he comes forward, and um, I'll turn over the service to him. Um, Father, we, again, thank you uh, for this time of year where we turn our hearts and to turn our gaze to the love that you showed when you sent your son. That's to save us. And Lord, I just continue to pray for each one here and those in our faith family that we will continue to keep our eyes on the, the true meaning of Christmas. It's the birth of our Savior, the continuation of the wonderful redemption story that, that you, God, have designed and written. And you have so wonderfully written us into that story. It's now part of our story. And Father, we thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray for Colton that, again, he's done the work, he's been faithful. Now the Holy Spirit, you do your part, please, we beg you, to work in our hearts and to work through Colton. And we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Joe. Is my mic on? I think so. Good. I typically give a warning that you really don't need to mic me. I get excited and, and then I talk loud, so I apologize, sound man. Just be on your guard. <clears throat> um, well, as Joe said, my name is Colton Kisner. Um, probably my closest connection to you all would be Daniel Sisler, and I'm glad Joe knocked that out for me. Daniel uh, rebukes me every time I speak somewhere and that people know him, and then I don't mention that I know him too. He thinks I'm ashamed of him, but... But that's that, not at all the case. I love Daniel. Um, Daniel and I go back, I think, roughly 10 years. Um, it was my later college years, his earlier college years, 
Uh, we were introduced to each other through his brother. Um, and so I've had the privilege of fellowshipping with and, and discipling alongside of Daniel for many years and uh, just consider him to be um, as close as a blood brother to me. Uh, so it's, it's a privilege to know him uh, and to know that you all know him because he's a gift to us. Um, so the, the passages we had read earlier, Psalm 2 and, and Acts 4, um, are the primary uh, texts that I'm going to preaching from. I, the, I, I think this is a sermon on Psalm 2. Um, that's, that's been my goal, but we're going to work through Psalm 2 together, and then we're going to transition to Acts 4, because if you were paying attention when it was being read, Acts 4 kind of brings Psalm 2 in the picture and, and does some interpretive work for us. So um, I think I chose somewhat of an easy passage, an easy Old Testament passage, because uh, it's handy that there's a New Testament passage that interprets it for our New Testament time. So that, that was... That was beneficial on my end, um, and, and, uh, and yeah, so I'm, I'm helped by that, and that's why we're going to do things that way. Um, I'm not going to do any more introductory by, uh, matters regarding me, by the way. Uh, I'm, I'm an open book, so after we're done, as, as we're continuing to fellowship um, after this time of, of preaching and teaching, uh, feel free to ask me questions or whatever it is, but, uh, but for the most part, Joe's kind of given the background of how I'm connected to you all, and um, and that's kind of the long and short of it. So I'll leave that to questions, but uh, if there are any later. So let's dive into the text together. Psalm 2. Um, I'll be working out of the ESV, which is what I believe is on the screens and in the pulpits, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, in the, in the pews. And, uh, but at the end, I'm going to read the last couple verses from the NET. Um, so, and I'm just prefacing all this to say, if you're reading from a different translation, the ESV, you may notice that towards the end of the Psalm 2, there are some really different words. Like, there's, there's phrases that seem to be totally different, and you might scratch your head and say, what is going on? Am I reading the right chapter? Did I skip? Did something happen? Um, and, and, and I'll kind of, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but the long short of it is, is that if you're uh, not familiar with the, the process that translators have to go through, it has to do with that process um, dealing with the texts. That's not good. My phone just decided to close my Bible app. Um, that's not going to be helpful. Uh, so that's what's going on when we get there. I'm going to read a different trans translation that you're going to be like, well, that sounds totally different. Um, the good news is, is I think that all in all, the same thrust is happening no matter which way the translators chose to translate the passage. So I'll get to that. But primarily, we're going to be, I'm going to read from the ESV and work through it in that language. So once again, Psalm 2. As soon as my phone catches up, I may have to go down and grab a Bible. Sorry, folks. Let me grab one real quick. My apologies. My phone appears to be frozen. This is why my wife tells me to stop preaching from my, from my phone. She's not here, but I think you're recording this. I'll tell her not to listen to it. <laughs> Psalm 2, there we go. Sorry, background information on Psalm 2. Uh, it's, not, it's probably not written in your Bible. You may have a study Bible that might have some notes, but who wrote Psalm 2? Um, 
it's a decent starting point for any passage. Who are we, who are we hearing from? Who's the human author? We, we believe as Christians that the divine author behind every text is God, that, that all Scripture is God-breathed, that the Spirit inspired men to write these things. They, the, the Spirit led them as they recorded these things. So we believe there's a divine author behind the text, but it's also important to note who's the human author, who, who penned this, and that gives us context. It tells us uh, what, what is probably happening and, 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 and kind of allows us to date things and, and know certain details. Um, unfortunately, if you dive into the different commentaries and theologians, I think you'll end up on the same boat that I was, and it was ultimately like I took my top three commentaries that were recommended to me um, regarding Psalms, and they had three different uh, leans or conclusions regarding who wrote Psalm 2. So it was kind of ends up like, well, take your pick. Um, we can get in the right ballpark probably, but, but it's still an unknown factor. And just to, to kind of knock it off, I'm going to say I lean towards David. I think David wrote Psalm 2, and, and I'm playing the easy card because if you were paying attention again when we read Acts 4, and uh, Acts 4, the, the disciples, when they enter into their prayer, say, uh, as David said, led by your spirit, and then they quote Psalm 2. So I, I like, uh, I think that works well. I think that that upholds, uh, it's the easiest path to biblical inerrancy. I will not argue it's the only path, um, but I think it is the easiest path. And so I think I'm leaning towards David wrote Psalm 2. What event led to Psalm 2? What event led to him writing this um, in his context? That I don't know, and it seems, again, that if you dive into the commentaries, there's, there's kind of a, there's, there's no known event in which uh, this magnitude of, of a rebellion occurred, um, in which the nations rebelled against him. If he's the anointed one being referred to in Psalm 2, um, then there, there doesn't seem to be an event in which that literally took place. And so there's, there's questions if, if a literal event caused David to write these words, um, what was it? And we don't know. Um, so that's a little bit of background. But I do want to first deal with Psalm 2 as though uh, it, in its original audience sense. This was written to the Jews. We are Christians, so we still uphold the, the inspiration of the Scriptures. And we believe that, that God has fulfilled the Scriptures, the Old Testament, handed to the Jews through Jesus. And so that's why Acts 4 works well for us. Um, and it's handled the way it does, but I do want to handle the text first and foremost, considering what, what is it that David, as the human author being led by God, was exhorting or encouraging us. And so I want to hit that first, and then we'll hit Acts 4. Now, we'll read the text, as I've said a dozen times. Verses 1 through 3, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst, let us burst the bonds, and I gotta stop reading from my phone because it keeps skipping. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. My Hebrew professor, when I was in seminary, was big about, he felt like the Hebrew language um, seemed to have some strange connection to how a cinematography works. That in some sense, when you're reading the Old Testament, you should kind of be thinking, what type of scene is being painted here? Um, and again, I'm, I'm not a 
a, uh, I don't have a, a lot of study in Hebrew, so I can't back whether his hunch on that is right or not, but it seems to work well in Psalm 2, because there, I can easily, as I read through it, see four separate scenes, four very clear um, camera pans to a different something going on, and I think it works well. And so I want to I wanna kind of guide you through that thinking process as we're working through it. So the first three verses that we've just read, I think that you can, you can see visually through what he's saying that you have a camera kind of panning over fields of armies gathered. They're bashing their shields with their swords. They're enraged. They're bloodthirsty. They are prepared for battle. It is a major uprising. This is, again, the nations. And they have one intent, and that's to bring down the one who claims to be their king, or to be, really claims to be king over all. And so they say, we're done with that kingship. We want nothing to do with it. They feel as though this king has put bonds on them. His rulership has put bonds and cords and bound them, and they are prepared to go against him and do whatever it takes to destroy his kingship. And the, the narrator in this sense, there's a narrator, again, if you're thinking like cinema, as the camera pans over, you hear a man and he says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? He asks these simple questions. Why do they rage? Why do they plot in vain? If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a major fan, but I like the movies. And I just imagine the, the fields of the orcs as they were gathered for battle. And just you can just roll over the hills of the numbers of them. This is a pretty epic rebellion about to take place. Then we transition to scene two. Verse four. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Notice the different intenses. The, uh, if you're a grammar person, we have present tense, past tense, future tense. Notice in verse 5 that there's a future tense. He will speak. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. So there's something happening presently, and the narration says it's, something is coming, something is about to happen. I want you to take note of that. But again, back to the analogy of, of, a, of a scene, I, I see the pan going from these armies, and all of a sudden the, pan, the, 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 the camera pans up, and it begins to zoom in on God in heaven. And you can, as it's getting closer, you begin to hear kind of chuckles coming from the clouds, which is where cinema likes to think God dwells. But, and you hear the laughter, and you zoom in, and you find God up there just kind of laughing and saying, well doesn't say he's saying anything yet. But he's amused, and the scene is because he knows that it is folly to rebel against him and the one he has appointed. It's a foolish endeavor, 
and they have no idea what they are trying to, to do. And then the third scene is, is sort of a transition, uh, a very quick transition, but it, I, I see an overlap between, between that scene and, and, this, and, the, and verses 7 through 9. So in verse 7, I think that we have whoever the anointed one is. Again, I think in some regard David is playing this role. Um, I, I think that the relationship, and, and there's some Old Testament passages that somewhat paint David as... as as sort of like a son, a kingly son to God. Again, as Christians, you should be saying, not in the same way as Jesus, and you're right, not in the same way as Jesus. So it's maybe you picture David here, and the camera then kind of is interrupted, and, and I, it's not here in the text, but I almost think that you have the anointed one kind of raises his hand and says, God, can I, can I tell them what you said to me? Let, let me have this next part. Let me tell the story for a moment right here. And it pans down to the anointed, and I think that's who's speaking in verse 7. He says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The whole psalm so far is ultimately these armies against the Lord and his anointed. But even when the, the part comes for the anointed to speak, he pushes the attention and says, it's not even so much about me, but it's the one who stands behind me. If you know the, the Chris Tomlin song, Armies, I know who goes before me, I know who stands behind, the God of angel armies is always by my side, as he says. Or if you're a, a, a rap um, fan, as I am, I'm, I'm letting that out, the cat's out of the bag on that. There's a Christian artist named KB, who's a rapper, who took Chris Tomlin's song and did a tremendous job at adding his own kind of flair to it. And he repeats the same thing. So you may have, you may have had this same idea kind of put before you in worship song. But that's what I think is happening here, that you have, you have the anointed one, the king who's, I, I see him still on the earth, against all these armies, these nations of armies, and they're about to come against him, and he's not freaking out. He says, I've got a few words for you. The big man upstairs called me a son. And you can come at me with all your bloodthirst and all your, all your anger and frustration, but it's not against me alone. It's me and him, and more importantly, it's, it's him that you're coming against. His confidence is in God. And the words deeply packed in his heart are those that God spoke to him that keeps him steady. In our short movie, the screen fades to black. And I like to think that it ends with, you know, how, how some movies end with, they just put up words to kind of close out the story. And I think after watching the film, you read these on the black screen, and it reads what verses 10 through 12 say. 
Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is sort of the, um, my wife occasionally likes to watch Grey's Anatomy, if, if you've ever watched Grey's Anatomy, and at the end, uh, you always have kind of the main character of that TV show. She, she kind of commentates on the episode and says, here's the takeaway of this story that you just watched. Here's the, the thoughts that might provoke you about the, the story you just watched. I think that's sort of what we should take this as is, again, I lean towards David penned this, and he says, based on this scene you just watched, here's the takeaway. Serve the Lord with fear. And the ESV says rejoice with trembling. Trembling. The NET says repent in terror. Again, I don't, I don't think that there's too much difference there, but rejoice and repent are two very different terms. So again, what's going on there is that we don't have, if David wrote it, we don't have the paper that David wrote on. We don't. But the beauty is, is that we have copies upon copies of what appeared to be what David wrote. And so a translator's work has to take all these ancient copies and has to discern what was the word, what does that mean in that language, how do I then move it over to here. But if you can't totally tell what that original word was, my example to you is hat and bat in English, if somehow the H looks like it gets connected at the bottom, you now have the word bat. And hat and bat are not the same word. They're very different words, right? And so therefore, if somebody was trying to translate the English in a million years from now, and they see the word hat and bat, and they're like, well, I don't know which word they were, that was in their language. Was it hat or bat? And, and they have to they have to do the best they can, and so the good news is they work with all these copies, and they say, okay, all these seem to look like it's hat, and all these seem to say it looks like it's bat, and then out of those, these are kind of the more important ones, because we think these, these tend to be more accurate, and these tend to, and they, they have to work with all these different variables, and then they make their translation, and this may be way too deep, and you're like, I don't really care, but I, I think it's interesting, I think it's helpful for us as Christians to know this. This is what we're dealing with. This is why our translations can defer. And so the ESV writers and the NET, I know they at least have kind of two different things, that ESV take one word, and, and so they, they think it's repent. But if you make a small change to that word in, the, in, in Hebrew, it's, uh, it is, uh, what was my, my word in, I'm sorry, the NET thinks it's repent. The ESV thinks it's rejoice. And that's what's going on here. So whether it's repent with trembling or rejoice with trembling, I don't know, and they are very different. But the overall takeaway seems to be very clear. The wise thing to do is to serve the Lord. And whether it's kiss the sun, as the ESV says, or the NET says give sincere homage, the really cool thing about that is whether the word was sun or homage, the, the act of kissing the sun, most commentators agree with this, that that's probably, if it's kiss the sun, it's reference to, you probably have some awareness of this, in ancient times, that is the way you pay homage. It's the way that you say, 
I am submitted to you, king. You know, they would kiss the ring or whatever it would be. And so again, the, the takeaway seems to be, look at the picture, watch the movie, and who are you going to submit to? Are you going to hold up your own kingship? Because remember, he directs it, he says, uh, he says, so now you kings, you rulers of the earth, are you going to uphold your own sovereignty, or will you turn and serve the Lord and submit to his rulership? And verse 12 says, otherwise, if you don't do these things, he will be angry, and you will die because of your behavior when his anger quickly ignites. How blessed are all, all who take shelter in him. The kids aren't in the room, but I, I like this picture anyways. I think it just brings it clear. I, I once heard the pastor, theologian, John Piper, uh, speak at a children's ministry conference. And he, uh, he said, he was trying to encourage them to say, kids can grasp deep concepts. And the deep concept he kind of said was, for instance, we typically say, man, we, we got to be careful about telling kids to fear the Lord. Like, we don't want to make them afraid of God. That would be awful. And so we, we feel like they can't quite grasp that, so we avoid kind of introducing that until later. But he says, let me, let, me, let me help you with that one alone. And he tells this story of him and his wife and their son, Benjamin, I believe, go to a friend's house for dinner. And they get out of the car and they go up to the door and, and the friends greet them and welcome them in. And, and John Piper says, I, I realized that we had forgot something in the car. And so I turned to little Benjamin, who's I think five or six, and says, Benjamin, run back to the car real quick and grab, grab whatever it was. And there's a dog that they have, and, and, and so the dog was there with them. And little Benjamin turns, and he begins to run to the car to do as his father asked him. And the dog begins barking off the walls and chases after Benjamin immediately. And the owner of, that, of the dog, the, the people who, whose house they're at, says, says, Benjamin, Benjamin, stop. Please don't run. Our dog does not like it when people run away from him. And John Piper says, a light bulb went off in his head and said, that is what to fear the Lord means. God does not like it when we run from him. He will get angry. We don't like to think of it that way, but he will get angry if you run from him. And if you spend your life running from him, he will be angry. See, it's irrelevant of, of who you are. That's the beauty of it. Just like that dog doesn't know a good person from a bad person or someone who's going to abuse the dog or treat him well. That's not the point. The point is that regardless of what type of person you are, don't run from God. You should run to him. Now you could say, well, that's nuanced because if you run at him with a sword and shield like these people are wanting to do, that's going to have a different outplay too. But I think it still works. The takeaway of the message is to run to God, take shelter in him based on this video, this short film we've walked through in Psalm 2. So let's flip over, if you will, uh, to Acts chapter 4. And 
And I heard Joe mention that an hour and a half long sermon would be long, so I'm trying to stay under that. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. To catch you up on the context real briefly. So early Acts, we have, you know, Jesus has been crucified, resurrected. He goes to be with Father, says, I'm going to send the helper to you. There's the event of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples. And out of that, they are empowered through the Holy Spirit with boldness and confidence to go and proclaim the good news of Christ's resurrection. And so they begin, or they're heading to the temple. Peter and John are, are walking by the temple, and there's a man who is lame. He can't walk. And, uh, and he says, he's begging for money. And Peter turns to him and says, I don't have money, but what I do have, I give to you. And he tells them, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. And then everybody, the crowd, is just astonished. And so Peter addresses them and says, what you've just seen is, is don't be amazed because I didn't do it, we didn't do it. But the man you crucified recently, Jesus Christ, it's in his name that this man walks. And it began to create a stir in the city. And so John and Peter are quickly ushered over. I think I'm getting the characters right here. I may be wrong. I apologize if you're looking to see if I'm right. So I think it's Peter and John. And they, they brought to the chief priests. And the chief priests tell them, you need to be quiet about this Jesus nonsense. We killed him. He's dead. End of story. Stop. And we're going to let you go. And then Peter, said, Peter and John say, unfortunately, we do what God tells us to do, not what you tell us to do as mere men. And they're let go anyways. And I think that's it's pretty pivotal about what's going on here. So we pick up in verse 23 out of that. They're released. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And they heard it. And, and when they heard it, meaning that the... Um, their friends, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, note the introduction of who they're speaking to, the sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, he quotes Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage? Gentiles here, could, it, they could have easily translated this as nations, just so you know, in Greek, same term here. So why did the Gentiles rage? Why did, why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 27. And this is, this is again, I, it's, it says that they're, they're in prayer. So I don't, you know, I don't know if it's Peter. It, it seems like they're all kind of saying this at the same time as what the picture's painted as, but Whoever speaking is kind of their interpretation of, of Psalm 2 in light of Jesus' events. In light of Psalm 2, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Remember, we're addressing the sovereign Lord. And they comment in verse 20. I'm going to pause there. They comment in verse 28 that all that just transpired with Jesus, 
took place according to the sovereign Lord's plan that he had predestined to take place. So the disciples here have lived through the events of Jesus' arrest, brutal torture, crucifixion, and then his resurrection, and their minds are cast to Psalm 2. I'm sorry, I'm skipping some. They're brought before the chief priest. They're told, only if you be quiet will you be let go of. And they say no, and they're let go of anyways. Somebody else is working this thing out. And their conclusion is, this is exactly what Psalm 2 said was going to happen. They would come against the Lord and his anointed. The disciples say that's Jesus and God. And remember, Psalm 2 never told us what took place, right? We just see the armies gathered. We see God's response to that in heaven. We see the anointed one saying, this is foolish. My, he calls me his son, and he loves me. And Psalm 2 ends with the warning, serve the Lord. And out of all these things, the disciples see that, and they read between the lines and they say, God is sovereign over this entire rebellion. He's been sovereign over the entire crucifixion of Jesus. And we have nothing to fear. And so in closing, verse 29, they say, because of these things, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the same or through the name of your holy servant Jesus they don't see psalm 2 as concluded yet they see the same uprising that came against Jesus it's echoing on and therefore, he immediately transitions to, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. They're still threatening. They're still coming against you. But Jesus is no longer the one on the earth who, I'm arguing in some sense, that the Christians somewhat take the place of the anointed now. And I'll admit, maybe I'm taking a theological leap. I'll leave it if your elders want to come up here sometime and say, no, nah, that, that's, that's too far. But I see the argument through what they say here to say, we are now in, in that anointed place through Christ, in Christ, and the threats are still coming. So, Lord, would you bless us with boldness to continue to do what your anointed one did in Psalm 2. Let us testify to your word, to your promises, to your goodness, to your sovereignty. That's their prayer. That's their hope. And so if you're looking for the practical application of Psalm 2 to your life, it's given to you right there. In Christ, you stand as a representative of God, as a Romans 8 calls you a child of God because of what Christ did, because of his death and his resurrection. You now are a son and a daughter of Christ. I mean, I'm sorry, of God. That's not correct. Not of Christ, of God. And as such, the nations are continuing to rage on. And they will come against you and the Lord. 
And again, just let Psalm 2 guide your heart. In that position, what's your role when the camera is on you? It's simply to testify to what the Lord has said. It's simply to submit to who he is and to live your life under his sovereignty, regardless of what the nations threaten against you. And I include America in the nations. Regardless of, of what the, 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 the Republicans or the Democrats say against you, I'm not a person who thinks Republicans synonymous with Christian. I know Republicans who hate me because I'm a Christian. And I know Democrats who hate me because I'm a Christian. So when the world is coming against you, you must have Psalm 2. You must have the Word of God planted in your heart. And you must have a trust in it and a faith in it to know who stands behind you. And that's your role. How does it end? I'm not going to have you turn there. Revelation 2.27, if you want to, you can, but I'm not, I'm not going to read it. But, but Revelation 2.27 and Revelation 19.15 quote the end of, or quote verse 9. Particularly in Revelation 19.15, it says that when Jesus comes again, his, out, of his sword, out of his mouth will be a sword, and he will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You see, Psalm 2 is, I think it probably had an immediate context. I think it had a definite immediate context happening in Jesus' day. And I think it has an immediate context today, but it's not finished yet. And that which the anointed one quoted, God said will, he will do, that he's going to make the anointed one king over all, and he's going to, to, uh, he's going to bring it so that the anointed one will break them with a the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That day is coming, and Christ will return, and Psalm 2 will be consummated. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 2, and when it's all over, he will fully bring it into play. So once again, no matter where you're at, if you are one of the Lord's, if you have already placed your security and your hope in Christ, then be encouraged that he's well aware of the rage of the nations coming against you and against him. And you merely need to trust in him having your back, him standing behind you, him being your provider, your king. And that's all you need to tell the world. And invite them to turn and serve him as well. And if you're outside of Christ, if you are not, if you say, I, I don't know where I sit on this, or I do know where I sit on this, and I think that's hogwash, I invite you, Christ has not yet come back. And the end of Psalm 2 is still out there. Turn, come to serve the Lord. He is kind and gracious. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
We thank you for your great plan of redemption. That from the beginning of time, through now, until the return of your son Jesus, not for once do you take your eye off of us. You don't sleep. You don't rest. You continue to labor and to work for the good of those who love you, who fear you, who worship you, who confess with their mouths and their lives. You are the true king of all. There is no greater citizenship than to be a citizen of heaven. Thank you for your faithfulness to the Jews, to David. Thank you for your faithfulness to Jesus, your son. Thank you for your faithfulness to the disciples that we know they did. You said yes to their prayer. You put boldness in their heart. And they continued to preach the word. And there we are, or here we are, 2,000 years later, God, because of your faithfulness to answer their prayer. Here we are, worshiping you in light of Jesus because of the boldness you put in them. So we echo that prayer now that our children and our children's children and generations to come until your son returns, we continue to ask, give us boldness to speak your word. And God, would you grant us power that if it would please you, would you grant that there be healing, that there would be miraculous things, that the world would see we do not worship an invisible God who does nothing in the world, but instead we worship the one who does everything in the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.